Hey, thank you for listening to the City Life Church podcast. We are leading people to become fully alive in Jesus. We're a church in San Francisco, and we're praying that this word will encourage you, challenge you, and help you grow in your faith journey. So we've been in the series, and today is the last segment of the series called Who Cares? And we've been talking about anxiety. We've been talking about stress, overwhelmness, anxiousness, discouragement, depression. Amen. We've been talking about these different things. And the key verse for this entire series is found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. And if you've been coming for a few weeks, hopefully by now you've got it memorized. Amen. And it's going to pop on the big screen behind me. And it says... Give all your worries and cares to who? To God, for he cares about you. God actually cares about us. And he says, give all of your cares, not some or most. Give all your cares to him, Stephen, because he cares about you. Everything that you're going through, anything and everything that you would be carrying, God says, let's make that exchange because I care about you. You are important to God. Tell the person next to you, you are important to God. And I'll tell him, and I'll just tell him, like, and you need a mint. <laughs> what is going on? So as we kind of conclude this series, um, today I'm going to sp- speak and talk on the subject of depression because it's a real conversation. They say that more than 5% of adults struggle from chronic depression. I'm going to talk about that. We're going to also explore the idea that most people, if not all people, at some point in the journey of life, you'll experience little moments of depression. Depression is real. I'm not talking about the economy, the great depression. I'm talking about the emotional state of being. But we explored the idea of anxiety a few weeks ago. And what is anxiety? I shared with you that when I was growing up, I thought that anxiety was like a character flaw. Like, bro, you're not spiritual enough. Man, if you struggle with anxiety, that means that you got to pray more. You got to read the Bible more. You got to go to church more. What's the matter with you? That, that was kind of my understanding. If you, if you struggle with worry and anxiety, you're just not a spiritual person. I was wrong. I also learned that anxiety is not a sin. And that was so relieving. Anxiety is not a sin. Anxiety is actually a signal. Like on the dashboard of your car, there's a little light that boop comes on and says, hey, low tire pressure, or perhaps there's, 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 you're low on, on, on fuel or whatever it would be. It's an indicator of something that could be there. Anxiety itself is not a sin, but it can lead us into dark places. It can cause us, how we react or how we respond to anxiety can cause us to actually sin and miss the mark. In the same way, fear, fear itself is not a sin. There is such a thing as the spirit of fear, but God created all of us with this alert system that if we're approaching danger, something kicks in, alarm, be aware, beware of potential danger. Fear in itself is not sin, but what we do with it can lead to sin anxiousness, worry. Jesus would say, hey, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Are they going to have good barbecue food at this barbecue this afternoon or not? Don't worry about that. We got you. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't trip off of these things. He's saying, God will take care of you. So worry. Worry is when you pick up today, the burdens of tomorrow. You weren't designed to carry today's and tomorrow's burdens. We've learned that already. When it comes to depression, that's kind of a taboo because that as well has been taught in so many different ways, so many different angles. And let me just throw the disclaimer right up front. I'm not a pro at this. I'm a pastor. I do some counseling, but I'm not a professional therapist. My approach is to simply bring some biblical perspective on the topic of depression and how Jesus is actually the source of your healing. He is the cure. He is the friend. He is the helper. He's the great equalizer. He's the one that cares. Even though I may not understand, Jesus understands. My job is to preach Jesus, him crucified and raised again. My job is to point you to the one who was the source of whatever it is that we need. If you do need further, you know, help and counseling, we got therapists in our church and we got great partnerships in the city and in the greater Bay Area that we can connect you to. So my, my, my disclaimer right up front, amen? Don't, I'm not here to just give you a quick little fix-all kind of a sermon. My hope is that the, the Spirit of God would speak to you and that you would find encouragement wherever you would be at today. So whether you're navigating through a season of depression right now, or maybe you've come out of that place, 
or maybe you know people around you that are experiencing that right now, my hope would be that you would be encouraged and empowered to face these giants that come our way. Amen, somebody? So anxiety has cousins like worry, depression, fear, stress, anxiousness, all that fun stuff. All these conditions are contained within our soul. We were created in the image of God. God is three. We are three. Three part beings, spirit, soul, and body. As I've shared many times, this body started with hair. And life happened. But within the, the, the real essence of who I am, we are spirit beings. And then the next level to us is our soul. Your soul contains your mind, your will, your emotions, your imagination. You can't go to Kaiser Permanente and have them do an MRI or an x-ray. Like, ooh, look at your soul. You're pretty healthy. You don't see it. It's invisible. But it's an, an integral part of who you are. When it comes to all these different challenges that we face, whether they're chemically induced, hormonally induced, physiological, psychological, spiritual, it doesn't matter. They're all contained within that soul realm. Jesus is the one who comes to bring healing and health to all of us, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Can I hear a loud amen? amen? He's the source. So as Jesus was chatting, he would go from place to place and he was teaching about the kingdom of heaven, teaching on a variety of different subjects and topics and talking about real issues, the real struggles. If the Raiders played back in the day, he'd be talking about the Raiders. Hashtag the struggle is real. But we're not going to talk about that. Some of you felt depression just kick in right there. Matthew 11 is where I'm going to preach from right now. Matthew 11, verse 1, it says this. When Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and to preach in towns throughout the region. John the Baptist, which was his cousin, who was in prison, he heard about all the things that the Messiah was doing. So so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are, are you the Messiah that we've been expecting or not? Should we keep looking for someone else? Verse 11, it says, Jesus now responds, says, I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist, yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. Jesus had been talking about the kingdom of heaven and how he invites us to be citizens of his kingdom, to be a part of his crew. Doesn't matter what your track record is. Doesn't matter what your past looks like, how good you were or how messed up you were. Jesus personally invites everybody to be a part of his crew. And he says, when you're a part of the kingdom of heaven, you're great. And he's talking about this contrast about the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on to brag about John, his cousin. He's like, man, there's never been anybody like this cat right here. He's been the greatest. But even the least of you who joined the kingdom of heaven, you're greater than even this guy. Who was John the Baptist? The Bible actually tells us a few things. He was a preacher. He would go on like this dude was a hippie to the T, bro. Like he, he like wore all kinds of leathers and crazy stuff, ate locust and like honey and like all organic everything. You know what I'm saying? Like. This dude was like all fresh that way. And he would go to the wilderness and just preach the hell out of people, like legitimately, like telling them to turn back to God. And then he would baptize them, thus the name, John the Baptist. He would baptize people. And they would turn and repent to God and the fear of the Lord would grip their hearts and they'd begin to live righteously for God. He was a preacher. He was a baptizer. He was a prophet. Different passages would refer to him as a prophet. When you actually open the gospels and you go to, the gospel of John, not to be confused with John the Baptist, but the disciple John, who was a fisherman, he actually writes about the life of Jesus. And he actually describes a little bit about John the Baptist, Jesus's cousin. This dude was only, John the Baptist was a few months older than Jesus, right? In John chapter one, John the Baptist is kicking it, probably again, eating some locust. Mm, got a little leg stuck on my tooth. He's hanging out with his disciples, his homies, Jesus walks by in John chapter one and he goes, behold, the Lamb of God. He begins to describe Jesus, the one that had been promised by God prophetically. He begins to describe this is the one, the one that we've been praying for, the one that we've been waiting for. That's the guy right there walking right in front of us. A couple of John's disciples, they get up and they start following Jesus. Hey, he says, What's up, fellas? Um, <laughs> and he's like, uh, where are you going? That would be kind of awkward, right, Susie? Like, uh, do we know each other? You follow me on social media or something? You stalker? Like, what's going on? 
And they would actually follow Jesus. They would actually become disciples of Jesus. It was a great handoff from following John the Baptist to now following Jesus. I'm reminded in the book of Genesis, the first mention of worship in scripture is when Abraham is instructed to take his firstborn son, his only son, to this place to worship God. And God says, you love me? I want you to sacrifice your son. Like what now? Like what kind of test is this? Now God in his sovereignty, God already knows everything. He already knew the condition of Abraham's heart, but he was testing him. That's what worship does, by the way. It tests you to reveal what's on the inside of you so that you know what kind of motives and motivations are driving you. That's what worship does. So if you read the passage, I'm going to give you the abbreviated version. They get to the top and here's Jacob now carrying the wood for the altar that he himself is going to be sacrificed upon. Jacob looks around and says, hey, pops, um, we've got the wood. We've got the knife. We've got the, the fire. But where's the sacrifice? Abram would say, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And he followed through with obedience. And then last minute, God says, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's good. We got it. I see your obedience. We good. Jacob was spared. And then it says that they found a, a ram in the thicket and they offered that as a sacrifice to God. Now notice the connection from Genesis to fast forward a couple thousand years. Abraham has said, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And prophetically, John the Baptist, who's kicking back, eating some locusts, says, behold, the Lamb of God, implying and completing the statement that Abraham had started years ago. God will provide himself from the person of Jesus, the sacrifice to save mankind. John was prophetic. John the Baptist was also the cat that in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is about to start his ministry. Before he had performed any miracles, before he had gone to any weddings and turned water into wine, he goes to the Jordan River to be water baptized. Not because he needed to repent from any sins, because he was sinless. He didn't need to repent from anything. But to fulfill prophetic words that had been spoken of him and about him, and to set an example to all of us, he went and he obeyed. He's baptized by John the Baptist, his cousin. And as he comes out of the water, a voice from heaven, the Father, God the Father, with an audible voice, says, this is my son that I love. That's my boy right there. Mm -mm -mm -mm. That's my boy. That's my son that I love. And in him, I'm well pleased. In other words, he's validating his son. He's saying, this dude, as he comes out of the water, he isn't just doing his thing. He's doing my thing. Whatever he speaks, I got his back. Wherever he goes, I got his back. Whatever it is that he needs, I got him. It was his coming out party, his bar mitzvah of Hebrew tradition. The father was endorsing the son. The crowds that were there, they too heard the audible voice of God. In our service right now, you're hearing my voice. You might be hearing my voice in Portuguese through a translator. Boa tarde, Deus abençoe você. Os brasileiros têm aí? We got a few. Maybe you're hearing it in Spanish. Dios te bendiga, como estás? Bien? Amen. Muchos latinos. Ah, que bueno, okay. So you might be hearing in Spanish or Portuguese. Eventually, we might have some German. Someone just got their German citizenship here this week. Come on, somebody. And a variety of other languages. All these different people they heard the voice of the Father. Jesus heard the voice of the Father. And John the Baptist, the dude that was dunking him, he heard the voice, audible voice of the Father. What's your name again, bro? Angelo. Angelo. It's like, could you imagine hearing the voice of God like that? Like, ah, Angelo. John the Baptist, he heard the voice of the Father endorsing his son, saying he is the Messiah. But you find this passage now, Angelo, Matthew 11. You find this unique passage because now John the Baptist, who had been doing great things, now he's incarcerated. 
the king and his wife, bro, they, like, she, she didn't like this dude at all. She wanted him dead. He was calling her out on some stuff, speaking some truth, and she's like, I'm going to cut you. <laughs> she was like, she wasn't feeling it. So he's locked up almost for two years. And here he was doing good. He would have been now 33, 34-ish, maybe almost 35 perhaps. And all of a sudden, dude, he's been locked up. All these dreams, all these aspirations, all these ambitions that he had and visions that he had of his cousin Jesus becoming the king of the world and he get to play a part. He's like, I'm not the king, but I'm making the way. I'm preparing the way for the one that's coming. I love life. And then all of a sudden, life sucks. <laughs> Things were going so good. Obeying God. And out of nowhere, not only is he incarcerated, but he finds himself in a very discouraged place. He began to maybe second guess a few things. Began to maybe question, did you really hear from God? Bruh, that wasn't in your head. That was actually an audible voice of God. Everybody there heard it as well. That prophetic feeling that he had when all of a sudden Jesus walks by, behold, the Lamb of God. That prophetic moment, that anointing that kicked in. He forgot about that. Why? Because circumstances around him had changed. Life had changed. Things weren't playing out the way he had hoped. Don't raise your hand. Has anyone ever made a mistake before? You're like, oopsie daisy. How did that happen? You zig when you should have zagged. And you find yourself in a hot mess going, oh, geez, how did I get myself in this mess? Some of you are like, again. John would find himself doubting, perhaps. Likely very discouraged. And I like to say, I'll submit it to you, I think he was depressed. Because depression causes you to second guess everything. He had heard the voice of God. He had experienced the power of God. But because of depression, now he's questioning everything. That's the power of this agent that can creep into our hearts. I want you to understand that depression is not a sin. And though there could be a spirit of depression, demonically, depression itself is not a spirit. It's a condition of the heart. It's how you respond to it, like I keep, I keep saying, that will determine whether you succeed in advance or whether you drift and stumble. If you're navigating through depression right now, if you've been living in a season of discouragement and depression, it doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't mean that you are a sinner. It's a warning though. How, how do you cope with adversity? Do you find yourself questioning the word of God? Remember when? Remember when you felt something? When you could feel the love of God up close and personal, you felt embraced by God and things were going good. Remember? And then life begins to happen and you find yourself going, geez, I, I still love God. I've never stopped believing, but I don't laugh as much as I used to laugh no more. Things that used to bring me fulfillment and joy and pleasure, like... It's kind of like I'm a bit indifferent. Don't raise your hand if you're in that season. But you know what I'm talking about. And then what begins to happen is that we find ourselves drifting. And in order to cope with pain, we begin to numb it with other things or people. And we begin to fill our hearts with things that just aren't good for us. Maybe in excess. Maybe relationships. Listen. You came out of a toxic relationship. God had to detox you from all that crazy manipulation and pain and all that stuff. And out of a sense of aloneness, you've drifted either back to that same old toxic thing or you found yourself in another dysfunctional relationship. That's not the abundant life. Yeah. 
That's a reaction to depression. Can I keep it real in church today? And what happens is because we are emotional beings created in the image of God, God has emotions and we're created in his, his image. We have emotions. Oftentimes we can allow our emotions to lead us rather than the spirit of God to lead us. When they say, just follow your heart, they're full, <laughs> I almost cussed in church. They're full of BS. <laughs> Devil is a liar. Been hanging around Pastor Elena too long. No, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. I'm going to get myself in trouble. She's going to send me to Italy by myself, you know what I'm saying? That would be torture. <laughs> I got to move on quickly. It's your heart that got you in that mess in the first place. Don't follow your heart. Follow his heart. Follow his spirit. Follow his voice. Proverbs 13, 12, it says this, hope deferred, it makes the heart sick. So when you've put your hope in a person or a system or just dreams and they don't play out the way that you had imagined and you just keep waiting for someday to finally get over the hump, like, man, we are so close. Bro, it's been 25 years. And you're holding on to hope. But because it hasn't played out maybe like in John's case, the way you had envisioned it, you find yourself drifting into that place of depression and discouragement. You still love God. You never, you've never become a Jonah and ran from God. You're just, you're numb. And it can cause you to drift and miss everything that God has. Listen, can I just tell you, someone needs to hear this today. There is a blessing in your pain don't waste the pain. Maybe you didn't sign up for this. Maybe you weren't looking for this, but you're in this. You're going through it right now. There's still a blessing in the pain. And even though you may not fully understand it, just say, Lord, I don't understand it, but here I am. I surrender. God, use the pain to make me more like Jesus. In my brokenness, God, I surrender. You got my attention. God, do as you please in my life. Don't waste the pain. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but Jesus, the Bible says that he came to heal the brokenhearted. Maybe your heart's been broken by people, expectations, perhaps self-imposed ones, and you find yourself just depressed. Jesus comes to heal us. He comes to heal you. So the disclaimer again, there's different causes and reasons for depression and if you struggle with severe or chronic depression, we're with you. We may not have the natural steps to help you, but I know the one who will help you. And we can all also connect you to professionals that will give you some guidance that way. Let me unpack this thought of depression very quickly, both biblically and just from what we understand. The definition of depression, it's a mood disorder that causes a persistent feeling of sadness and a loss of interest. It's a persistent sadness and a lack of interest or pleasure in previously rewarding or enjoyable activities. It's like, man, I just lost my interest. It's not fun no more. The cause, what causes people to experience depression? It's often triggered by life circumstances such as the loss of a job. Man, you were all in, you were invested and out of nowhere, the, the rug got pulled from underneath you. Or maybe as an entrepreneur, shout out to our marketplace pastors, John and Maria uh, marketplace breakfast yesterday. Maybe you're an entrepreneur and you tried a few businesses and it just failed. It just didn't work. And you became disillusioned. And it's like, man, like now what? Maybe you experience the real pain of divorce. Divorce is, is horrible. Horrible. Many of you in this room, can I, can, man, can I tell you? This world is jacked up. This world is cursed. It's broken. You live in a broken world. It's not, it's not Disneyland, you all, the happiest place on earth. No, this is a jacked up world that we live in. But praise God that there is a God that brings healing. Praise God that there's a God that brings new and fresh beginnings. This is not the definition of your life. This is not the trajectory of your life. This is not the end of your life. One person does not complete another person. If you happen to experience divorce, you're not incomplete. 
Jesus is the one that completes us all. So whether you're married, single, or single again, he is the one that completes you. Your completion doesn't come from a spouse. You got to hear that. So life sucks sometimes. Life is difficult. But in Jesus, he brings healing from our past and he gives hope for your future. He is the source. You need to be encouraged today. If you're fi fighting depression and you're thinking that a person other than Jesus is going to fix it, it's not them. Jesus is the one who fixes us and heals us. Maybe you experienced trauma. Again, the, the death of a loved one. Maybe you, exp you experienced abuse. Again, it's a broken world. Some of the stories and some of the things that me and our pastoral team have to, have to walk with, it, it breaks your heart. And if God didn't give us the grace, the mercy, the anointing to help people, it would crush us. And that's the world that we live in. So as you come to church and you're looking all good and you smell good, hopefully smell good. I understand that we are a collection of a lot of broken, messed up people. And we need Jesus and we need one another. So the cause, maybe you experienced sickness or infirmity or an injury. Maybe you were healthy, you were working out and some crazy ran a red light and just crashed into you and, and you experienced infirmity and all kinds of other setbacks and now you find yourself just battling depression. It's like, dude, I've always been optimistic. I've never been down, but I wasn't looking for trouble. Trouble ran a red light and found me. Just life. So there's different causes and we can go on that for a while. Symptoms that we would see would include intense feelings of sadness, hopelessness, anger, fatigue, loss of interest in things or loss of interest in the people that we care about. Things that we enjoyed, all of a sudden it's like, nah, nah. And then I'm just going to summarize it into two types. There's two types of, of depression as I researched it. Major depressive disorder or MDD. And this is a condition that people will carry for months, if not years. It's just a reality. Or what doctors would say, reactive or situational depression. Where because of certain things, you're triggered and you might experience this for a few days, weeks, Sometimes a few months. So for me, Brazilian, Brasileiro, Verde Amarelo. As a Brazilian who loves Brazilian soccer, not soccer from Uruguay, and most definitely not soccer from Argentina, adios mio. <laughs> As a Brazilian, when we watch the World Cup, that only happens every four years. The anticipation, the buildup, the, the excitement. Woo! We go in and it's a month-long tournament. And if Brazil wins, I know they're the best. But man, they're just going to add to their legacy. Come on, somebody. Sixth star. Like the Niners, we're trying to go for our sixth championship. And then what happens is when, they're, when they lose and they're eliminated, ah, that's when I go into a little... Seasonal depression, you feel me? I stop watching TV for weeks. Who cares who wins the World Cup? I don't care. I don't watch no more. Da -na -na, da -na -na. No more ESPN. I don't go to my sports websites. Why? Hashtag struggle is real. <laughs> I'm being facetious and saying that we go through these moods and it happens. Reactive depression. <laughs> I was going to again pick on the Raiders. I'll just keep moving on. Let's go on to the next thought. Why is it then important that we know what depression is and what it's not? It's important. As believers, people who love Jesus, we need to learn what is depression. Let me give you a few brief thoughts. Depression is a thief. It's a thief. It's an emotion that comes to steal a few things. It comes to rob, rob you of a sense of purpose, rob your dignity and self-worth, rob you of joy and strength, rob you of your motivation and drive. It comes to rob you of what it means to experience true fulfillment. You're just existing. You're not living. It comes to rob you of your dreams, ambitions, those things that as you were a kid, remember when you used to dream like someday when I grow up, I'm going to be a fireman. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a teacher. 
In my case, I'm going to be a professional soccer player for Brazil. <laughs> well, <laughs> depression, it comes to, to steal. I like to say it comes to steal the, the full potential of what God has for you. God has a special inheritance for your life. The enemy can't steal your destiny, so he'll try to shortchange it. He can't steal your salvation, but he's going to try to keep you from fulfilling your destiny, your calling, the purpose of God for you, for your family. He'll work overtime to get you to settle for less than what God has for you. Remember, depression, like anxiety, it's not a sin, but how you respond to it can lead you into a sinful place. John 10, verse 10, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give life and life to the fullest. If you were to do a little self-assessment check right now, are you living life to the fullest? I'm not talking about you going to Vegas over the weekend. Woo, let's just go party. I'm talking about living to your full potential. Are you fulfilling the destiny that God has for your life? Or are you just getting through? Here's the second thought. Depression is a stealthy killing agent. It comes to kill. You can actually be good and you can be doing good while still suffering from this condition. The fact is many people who suffer from depression, they're not even aware of it. Including myself. Even as I was prepping this whole series, as I was researching and reading, and I read a variety of different books, four, five, six, seven different books, just trying to glean from different experts. On the Enneagram, if you're familiar with the Enneagram, there's the Enneagram, there's Instagram, and there, there's the Pentagram. I'm not talking about the no Pentagram voodoo devil stuff. I'm talking about the Enneagram, which talks about personality and temperaments and how God's wired different ones of us, right? If you got a problem with that, just talk to Pastor David later. He'll fix you. I'm a number three on the Enneagram. By definition, I'm an achiever. I like to see things getting done. I love to see people succeed. I love to see people hit their goals. It brings joy and fulfillment. Not just when I win, but when we win. It's like, man, let's go. So I'm an achiever. Ain't nobody got time to just sit back and do nothing. I can be lazy at times. Just ask Pastor Elena. But I like to see things get done, especially when others are getting them done. <laughs> One of my quirky parts of who I am is they say that number three on the Enneagram, we are very unaware of our own emotions. We're emotionally disconnected. We don't know how to read, like what's going on in our own lives. That's why, like last week, Pastor Keys is preaching, and he's an inspirational preacher. You get around Keys, he inspires you. You get around him, you feel encouraged and built up, and he starts preaching. Oh, man, he can't look to his side over here because he sees Isaiah, and he's like, oh, man. And he starts, you know, he's, he, he gets choked up, and that's how God's wired him, and it's beautiful. I'm just not wired like that. So when Elaine and I watch movies, if it's a chick flick, she enjoys it. I'm sound asleep. We both love it. If I manage to stay awake and there's a tear-jerking moment, she'll be sobbing with, <laughs> and I'll be like, bruh. <laughs> and she'll be crying like, is everything okay? Like, yeah, I'm just so happy. Happy? Why are you crying like that then? Like, if you're happy, you should be like laughing. And I'm just a bit disconnected from my emotional, I guess, drawer. Hello, I'm really sad right now. Like, I'm unaware that I'm sad. My wife's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, preach it. You're preaching good now, son. <laughs> so as I'm reading and I'm prepping a message for you, God begins to speak to me. He says, you've been battling some of these different things. How? Why? Happily married. She's been putting up with me for 27 years. We're still good. Four kids. They make us proud, every single one of them. It's like, man, they're all serving Jesus. Our oldest just graduated college. Our kids, they're just like, they love Jesus. They come to church not because they have to. They want to come to the house of the Lord. If they're late, they got to drive themselves. I don't care, but like they love church. Church is good. I look around and I, I hear the stories of what God's doing. It's like, man, it's so awesome. 
I love being a part of a vibrant church where people are experiencing the presence of God. No complaints. We got challenges, of course. God's blessing us. Miracles. I'm hearing your stories and what God's doing in your lives and our online community. Stories of what people, of what God is doing in people's lives, even from our online campus. Like, it's amazing. Later this year, we get to launch our, our East Bay campus. A lot of people from the East Bay is like, man, they're looking for City Life Church. Like, man, so God's, I can't complain. And yet, looking at some of these symptoms and conditions, I began to realize, wow, there's, a, there's been different seasons where I was actually experiencing reactive depression and I just didn't even know it. I didn't know it. It happens to, to all of us, even your pastors. Left unchecked, it spreads and it becomes a paralysis. It begins to paralyze us in different areas of our lives. Listen, you're not here to just settle. You were not created to just get by or just get through. God's called you to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. God never called you to settle for anything less than everything that he has for you. The enemy can't steal your destiny, so he triggers these different things that would cause us then to only settle for part of the blessing. But that's not the God that we, we serve. That's not the Jesus that we're following. But depression, though, can trigger those things in, in our lives. So here's a thought. How do we overcome depression? Of course, worship, an atmosphere of worship, being in the word. Read the word of God. Listen to the word of God. Be a part of community. Whenever a person gets alone and isolated, man, now, now you are prey to this thing called depression. So force yourself. I don't care if you're an introvert or an extrovert. Just be wise. Yeah. The Bible says that when God created Adam, he says it's not good for, for man to be alone. It's just not good. Everything was good, but aloneness in this case is not good. You need a companion. It's way more than just spouse and spouse. It was togetherness, sharing life with one another. So I want to encourage you, if you've been a bit stubborn and you only either come on Sundays in person or maybe you only watch online because you're, 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 you're concerned about being around people, let me encourage you, you were not designed to do life alone. We need one another. Part of your healing comes from being around others. Now I'm going to show you through scripture how that's real. Some of you are waiting for a healing when there is a healing waiting for you. And part of you getting set free is getting out of the way, getting your focus off of you and the lack and then whatever the deficiency would be and saying, you know what, God, I'm going to step aside. I'm going to look to you. God, if you can flow through me, allow me to be a blessing to somebody else. And as you make yourself available, as they're being healed, you're being healed. So depression doesn't have to have you. It doesn't have to master you. So again, community, serving one another, that's huge. That's why I love our young people. Pastor David and our crew, Balboa, shout out Balboa, hi, let's go. All the different community outreach stuff that we're doing. Man, part of, part of living on purpose is being, being used by God to make a difference in other people's lives. Let me give you some thoughts, three basic ideas on how to overcome depression. Are you ready? For some people, depression, you can be set free from it just like that one prayer, just like, whoa, how did that happen? Many times it doesn't happen instantaneously like that, though. Many times it's a journey. I think of the 10 lepers that came to Jesus. He was the source of their healing. He could have just snapped his fingers. Angelo, bam, heal. He could have just done that 10 times, bam, 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 done. But he says, go and show yourselves to the priest. As they were going, that's the journey, that's the process, they were healed. How God brings healing in this area is totally up to him. Our part is faith and obedience. The outcome is on him. So we got to trust him. We got to live it out. We got to obey. And as we obey, how he brings healing to us, it'll happen in his perfect time. Are you with me? Three easy keys, very basic. First thought would be this, got to look up. Psalm 121, it says, I look up to the mountains. Does my help from, come from there? Nah, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. 
So I'm not allowing this mountain that's around me to overwhelm me. I'm looking beyond that. The one who made the mountain, the one who made the heavens and the earth. That's where my help comes from. So you got to look up. Someone say, look up. Second one is you got to look in. You got to look inwards. Look on the inside. Just don't, don't dwell there. Some of us are so focused on the end that we forget God and we forget those around us. But Psalm 51.10, the psalmist says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal or a right spirit within me. Self-assessment, being aware. Even number three is on the Enneagrams. Yeah, I need God to help me. And then finally, third thought would be this. It's look out. Not like look out, bro. Not like the look out, but like look outward. Look up, look in, and then look out. Look around you. Who are the people around you in your sphere of influence that could use your help? Matthew 10, I like how Jesus says it. He's teaching this parable about this king and talking about people that were serving him and doing nice things. And, and he's actually speaking of himself. And Jesus goes on to say, he says, he says, go to the lost, confuse people that are right here in their community or in, or in the community or the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick, raise the dead, touch the untouchables, kick out the demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously. Another version says, freely you've received, freely give. And in that conversation, he's like, as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. As you've served the least of these people that were not deserving, you want to honor God, you want to please God, you want to be a blessing to God, then be a blessing. Be the hands of God to the people around you. And as you serve and as you, as you give of yourself to be a blessing in someone else's life, healing will come to you. Now, I'm going to close out with this graphic. Thank you for the pen. I'm, I'm not an artist. And if you're here in the first service, like, oh, dang, stick to the day job. Um, but I want to just kind of like show you visually. Anybody have like an old school Bible up in here? Like you have like a paper Bible? Stephen in the far back, there's like a few, three, three or four. If you were to actually look at those things called the book, the Bible, and you flip to the tail end, there's actually like pages with maps. Ooh, <laughs> now we've got Google Maps, right? But back in the day, it's like the Bibles, the paper Bibles, they had maps. And if you were to open the back of the Bible, you would see a map of per per perhaps Palestine. So let me do a little drawing. Are you all right with me? Got a couple minutes to see this, okay? So if you were to look at the map, you'd see something that might kind of look like this. I'm like, wow, pretty good, PJJ. <laughs> That's me preaching. This is water. All of this is water. It's what we call the Mediterranean Sea. I'm just going to write med because I don't know how to spell Mediterranean. Too long of a word. <laughs> Down over here, this region right here, Egypt. So Moses and the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And God says, Moses, lead my people out of captivity. Which is, which is interesting because when you... When you study the maps, and if you follow up here, Pastor Lamia, her family, her cousins, they, they're from Lebanon. So that's Lebanon up there. And then Syria's over there and Iran, Iraq and all that. So Moses leads the people of God out of captivity. And instead of going to their promised land, which is this area here, God takes them on the long route. Another body of water called the... Red Sea. And he has to tell Moses, don't be afraid. I got you. Moses then would split the Red Sea. Remember that? They would cross over. The Egyptian armies follow. And then they all drown in the Red Sea. Then the people of God migrate quickly over here. All of this area is desert place. The Ten Commandments, all that fun stuff. All of that happens over here. The goal is for them to come into this region called the Promised Land. But they mess up just like we do. 
And just like these guys, God would take them on a long route. He takes us on a long route many times as well. And in that long route and in that journey, there's setbacks, including depression. Things that God actually can use, he can use. It doesn't mean that he sent it, but he can use them to produce something within us that will grow us, that will mature us, that will help us. It wouldn't be until many years later, an entire generation later, that God would use Joshua then to lead the people of God across the Jordan River. He would tell the priest, which speaks of worship and the presence of God, as you carry the presence of God through an act of worship, you step into your adversity and your challenges, and all of a sudden, whew, that adversary it stops. It says that the Jordan River is stopped, and they crossed over into their promised land. This would be like Jerusalem right around here. What's interesting is because these guys right here, that's also water. <laughs> that's my rendition of water. Woo, little waves. This body of water down here in the south, it's not to scale, but you get the concept, you get the thought. This would be known as the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea, even to this day, has no, has no fish. The high levels of salt, it's like 10 times higher than anything else anywhere in the world. So the salt and the minerals, if you were to go to swim in the Dead Sea, you could actually float without floaties. Like, hey, and just kind of just float effortlessly because it's so high in salt and minerals. It's actually more than 400 feet below sea level. So almost a quarter of a mile below sea level. It's the lowest, think about it, the lowest point on earth is here. Do you ever feel down? Do you ever feel like you're in a very low, low, low place? Like everything in you is a bit dead? What's fascinating is not only is there no, no fish or seaweed or anything living in it, everything around it is desert. And that tells us something. If you're dead, things or people around you will experience some dead things as well. By contrast, when you look at this body of water up here, this is called the Sea of Galilee. When you read the Gospels about Jesus traveling from place to place, preaching, he, he tells the disciples, hey, fellas, throw your nets on the other side. And they throw the nets on the other side and they just collect a ton of fish. Tell some of the disciples, hey, let's go to the other side of this lake and let's have some R&R. &R. They get to the other side and there's some dude that's demonized and it's like he's got, his, the name of the demon is legions. It says, for, for we are many. A couple of thousand demons possessing this guy. Jesus cast up those demons out of this cat. He gets set free. They jump back on a boat, come out to the other side. So whenever you read about boats, Jesus, disciples, they all happen up here. They would go fishing and a lot of fish was caught. Everything around this area was lush, vivacious, vegetation, the planting, agricultural terms. Jesus would say, hey, the harvest is plentiful. The labors, though, there are few. He's preaching right up here in this area. And he's using these terms that were familiar to them. This area was an area of prosperity. This body of water was a place of death. This river right here, it's called the Jordan River. The Jordan River flows south from the Sea of Galilee and it follows all the way down to the Dead Sea and dumps into this. Everything here is dead. Everything here is alive. The difference between these two is this one has streams, brooks, little rivers that dump into it. So the Sea of Galilee, I'm going to have Matthias jump on the keyboard. The Sea of Galilee, it receives water from the mountains. It receives water from the other regions. And as it receives, it also gives out. And because it receives and gives out, everything in it and around it has life. This one, on the other hand, only receives, never gives out. You can come to church and receive every Sunday. But if you don't give of yourself to those that God has placed around you, if you don't have an outlet to care for others and serve for others, you'll find yourself in a very low place, perhaps a very dead place. And you're trying to figure out how the heck do I get out of this place? Can I encourage you? Serve.
give of yourself. Make yourself available in God's hands to bring healing to somebody else. Oh, good catch. Let's go, my. Well done. As we wrap up this series, who cares? God cares. He cares deeply about you. He knows exactly how you think. He knows every scar you carry, every disappointment, every frustration, everything you've experienced, God knows and he cares. And he continues to pursue you. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for surrender. And he's extending his grace to you and me again because he loves us. I may not know your story. I don't even know half of y'all's names. God continues to just bring so many new people to our church, but God knows you. He knows your story. He knows your past, your present, and your future. He cares deeply about you. If it's important to you, it's most definitely important to him. The word of the Lord for you today is this, whether it's depression, anxiety, overwhelmness, stress, whatever it is, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. I don't know how he'll bring it about, but I guarantee you, as you trust him, he'll bring healing. He'll bring deliverance. Maybe you came to church today and you, uh, you're distant from God. You and God aren't right. Maybe one of two scenarios have played out in your life. Maybe one, you've never given him the opportunity to be the Lord of your life. That means you've been the driver, the designated driver all along and you recognize, man, I, I can't keep doing this by myself. Whether you're watching online, we've got many different ones tuning in. Whether you're watching online or in person, you're saying, you know what? I need to surrender to God. I need to give him my life. Maybe that's your story. Or maybe the second scenario, at some point you did, you invited him to be the Lord of your life. But life happened. You experienced some setbacks, some disappointments, some curveballs, and you've hijacked the wheel again. And you kind of like God still, so he's more of a passenger, but he's not the Lord. You can't drag God through this. Either he's Lord or he's not. Maybe that's your story. Either way, the great news that we have in the Bible is that anyone who calls on his name, the Bible says, they shall be saved. So I'm gonna lead us in this prayer. If that's your conviction today, you're saying, you know what? I wanna get right with God. I wanna give my life to him. I wanna make that exchange. If that's you, I'm going to lead us in this prayer. God's going to hear your prayer. Who here is saying, you know what, Pastor John, John, I want to get right with God today. I want to give him my life. Who here? Thank you, sir. Right up front. Thank you, fellas. Thank you. Thank you. Hands going up all the way. Anybody else saying, I want to get right with God. Let me see some more hands. You're saying, I've been distant. I want to get right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, bro. Thank you. Thank you, sis. Anybody else? You're saying, I want to get right with God. All the way in the far back. Thank you. Thank you. I may not see your hands, but God sees your hand and he sees your heart. Thank you for the hand right over here, sis, or bro, little, little guy right there. Thank you. Can we pray this prayer together? Would you say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for coming after me. Today, I open my heart. I invite you into my life. I give you my life and I receive your life. I repent of doing things my way. I repent of all my sins. I surrender fully to you. Be the Lord of my life from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we tell everyone how proud we are of them? Amen, God bless you. Pastor David is gonna come wrap things up.